0: I still go back to the repetitive nature of the noise and that humans tend to pick that stuff up. It's like having a, a washing machine that ticks or something that's making constant, <laughs> consistent noise.
1: Exactly. I'm going to keep doing this while you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: that is annoying let me file a claim in court <laughs> Cause, <laughs>
2: Cause, uh, yes well that's
1: speaking of which my name is stan smith um so you can file it under that in australia yes. right yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> on today's episode we'll talk about the eu uh confronting the uk uh in their first wto dispute since uh, brexit we'll talk about New Jersey and some of their investment and how that's going to bring jobs and power as soon as uh, wind turbines start getting erected there. We'll chat through some cybersecurity uh, incidents that's have had that have happened with uh, Nordex recently. Um, continuing this scary trend of cyber attacks on utilities uh, and their vendors. What about Siemens Gamesa, some uh, noise implications for wind farms in Australia. And then we'll chat about energy bills and misinformation and how that might be negatively affecting uh well most certainly is negatively affecting uh renewable energy products so before we get going uh be sure to subscribe to uptime tech news our weekly newsletter where you'll get updates on this podcast and other news around the web as well as rosemary's youtube channel uh where she continues to put out great new content every single week uh so first thing uh, on the docket today alan the EU is uh, upset with the UK. Is that how you're interpreting this?
0: <laughs> yeah, they're really upset. The UK government, when they are, are offering uh, to, to do offshore wind projects, are asking the bidders to tell how much content will be UK-based in that, in that offering. And So they're not requiring anything specific in terms of UK content, but they're just asking. And the European Union doesn't like that because essentially what's happening here is the UK government is choosing to, to select operators that have higher content from the United Kingdom, which makes total sense. The US is doing exactly the same thing. The problem is we're in the middle of this weird Brexit, EU, UK battle that's happening and the EU is, is screaming foul about it. And what, what's about to happen? Who knows? But the weird, the, the little twist in this is: remember that the European Union and the UK are tied together on the Ireland on on the island of Ireland. So Northern Ireland is part of the UK, and the rest of the I- island is Ireland, which is part of the EU. And right now, there's no border, so you can drive across. Uh, and the, but what happened as part of the EU's kind of quasi settlement was. Goods and services that came from the England-Wales-Scotland part had to go through a, a, a checkpoint, essentially, to get to Northern Ireland. So they've kind of installed a checkpoint there, and I'm not sure the UK is okay with that. So this is just adding more fuel to the fire, it sounds like. Rosemary, there's going to be more EU conflict, even inside of the EU. In terms of where the wind turbine components come from, right? Italy's going to want to have Italian components. The French are going to want to have French components. Why? Why can't the UK have some UK components? Are we not going to have to figure that out pretty soon?
2: Yeah, I think uh, I've, it's interesting because I mean, Britain has split from the EU, so then you know everyone hasn't got the incentives they used to have to play nice together. So no doubt there are other countries that are you know, trying to push their own country's agenda and also, you know, trying to resist um, other <laughs> other countries getting the advantage in manufacturing and jobs and all that sort of thing. But I think when you're still within the EU, it kind of all balances out because the EU is careful to support projects in, you know, um, the less, less well-off countries maybe and it kind of, you know, they spread the love around a bit more but no love is getting spread from mm. the EU to the UK anymore. And so I, I think that that's what this issue is over, that the UK doesn't, you know, doesn't necessarily want to make all the sacrifices that it was making before because it's, you know, it's, it's seeing all the pain and none of the benefit of the EU relationship. And that's, I, I mean, they felt that even before they split, right? Or at least, you know... <laughs> Approximately, who well, are about nearly exactly half of them did anyway. Um, that's the reason why they they wanted Brexit to get more control. Um, so it's not a surprise really that they would start to do this kind of thing. But I mean, it sounds like they're not. They don't even have local content laws at this point. They're just you know asking, just you know, for our information. By the way, you happen to be making stuff in the exactly. UK, and you know what? Who says that they're actually doing anything with that information? I guess that that's their their point. And yeah, I don't know. The whole situation does have a slightly. <laughs> childish kind of vibe to it, but um, you can kind of see the, the point of the UK. Many countries have, um, have local content laws and that's how you ensure that you benefit from this big industry. And, yeah, I, I think the UK is building so much and, you know, doing so much for, especially for offshore wind, you know, like the projects that they've done, they've, they were quite early movers and all of that um, investment and kind of planning that they did has really benefited the whole industry around the world. They want some of the the benefit flowing through to their economy some of the skills being developed some of the manufacturing you you know being done in in their country and and see those economic benefits so you can't really you you can definitely understand it i I don't think i can necessarily fault it um so yeah i I don't know (laughs) one of those interesting disputes
1: well and does anyone have an idea of what the right percentage is like if a country's like hey we want 20 (laughs) percent local content or Twenty seven percent. Like, is there a a benchmark? Like, who says twenty percent is good enough, or that 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 is obscenely too much or harmful? Like, what, does anyone know what the yeah. line might be?
0: I don't know if yeah, there I is mean, a think... line, right? I, I, I assume one hundred percent is one hundred percent too much. <laughs> is, is that where the line is? Probably, for the UK's perspective, uh you know, the UK offshore is like supposedly second in line to China in terms of installed wind capacity, which is crazy, right? So they, they've clearly have made wind energy part of their national security. So I think they're going to tell the EU just to push, to shove off, right? I think that's what's likely to happen because they do see themselves on an island and with all the things that are happening right now, having energy security is going to be high on the list. And, and Rosemary, I don't think the EU, although they, they may complain, they may go to the WTO. I, I just don't see the UK budging on this at all.
2: Yeah, well, they haven't really done anything yet. They're just asking for information. Uh, it seems hard to believe that that would be a violation of any kind of um trade, um trade agreement. Right. So uh, I'm sure that you know they will try and push up to the limit of what the the rule is that they've signed up to, and the EU will try and you know yeah. argue that the their interpretation has gone over the line, and you know they'll they'll settle on on something. I mean, they need a trade agreement. No one can really um. <laughs> handle the energy transition with only technology that's been developed in their country um, by companies from their country and made in their country. So, I mean, it's not even in a country's self-interest to, to demand a hundred percent local content. So um, yeah, everyone's got to find that that balance of getting some of the economic benefit without, you know, hindering their, their progress in um, projects that they, they want to do. So yeah, it's, yeah. Everyone's got to play exactly. nice because you, That's it. They, they need each other. They'll sort it
1: out. Well, moving on uh, back to New Jersey here in the, in the United States, the uh, New Jersey Economic Development Authority is estimating that there'll be $150 billion in private investment in the next 15 years. And so they're obviously very excited about you know, their local prospects. And they're estimating that uh, many union construction jobs related to a monopile. A uh, plant being built there is going to require, which will not require a college degree, is going to pay an average of seventy thousand dollars per year. So, like we just discussed, you know, benefits like that locally are really important. Um, Alan, does this hundred fifty billion dollar number seem high or low or real yeah. money to you?
0: <laughs> right. I, I, it's a big, I, that's what it's I was wondering. Number. It's a big number. It was so big that I I went and looked up with the GDP. Of New Jersey as a gross domestic product of an individual state, because it just seemed like, man, that seems really high. So the gross domestic product of New Jersey is grand total of about $700 billion a year. That's a lot of money. So if you're talking about $150 billion over 15 years, that's $10 billion, roughly $10 billion a year. Let's round it around. So it's not that much. It's, it, it's, It's not that much in terms of the total GDP for the state, but it is significant. If anybody drops $150 billion on your front step, (laughs) you'd be shocked. But that's kind of what's happening. So you you see all these uh, uh, desperate groups come together to uh, sort of get involved with wind energy all of a sudden. And some of these jobs, these union jobs are paying really well, like 70 grand to work at a basically steel plant making pilings. That's not a bad gig because that's seventy k, and I assume plus benefits, right? Medical, probably full medical, the whole thing. So realistically, it's like a hundred thousand dollar job. That's not bad money without having a college degree. That's actually really good money, and probably, and it has a, a long lifespan to it. So you're probably going to be at that gig for five to ten years. Yeah, and I I think that sounds terrific. And Rosemary, you you think this is actually going to continue from state to state to state, or do you? Th- see this sort of coalescing like uh, we have seen in other countries where it seems to be a real focus for like one area, but it's not broadly diverse.
2: I have seen a lot of um, plans like this or, you know, projections like this in Australia. People are really keen to do it on the hydrogen economy and, you know, how many jobs and how how much money that's going to bring in. And I think that they're all plausible if they're taken in isolation. But when you add, you know, like there's probably other states that have similar big numbers for their expectations for their offshore wind industry. When you add it all together, I think that you end up with more than the whole um offshore wind industry is going to be globally or especially for hydrogen. Like I see I see all these projects added up and I'm like, there's there's just no <laughs> no no chance that um the world's going to be moving that much hydrogen around. So um I think that the that any one of them could could happen that way, but I'll be highly surprised if every every state's plans for you know their growth into an emerging um, green industry if they they can't all happen together because that's just too much. so I, I think that that's important though because um, you know a state makes this plan like this is on the table and if we move fast, we can grab that. but if we move slowly, well, you know there's plenty of other states that would really like those jobs there and so, yeah it is um, I know in countries like Australia, and I think the US too been kind of waiting on climate change action, you know, trying to be the last mover to um, you know benefit from cost reductions and technology improvements that other countries have have paid the bill for. Um, and I think that we're starting to see that that's not a smart <laughs> a smart um, strategy if you want to you know think about your economy in 10, twenty years time you will have missed the, missed the boat, the the literal boat offshore <laughs> installation boat in this case. Right. Yes, um, you would.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. So I think people, uh, even, you know, conservative governments are now starting to realize, oh, okay, there's, um, a lot of benefits to do with the energy transition as well as, um, costs. And if we wait to be the last movers, then we'll only get costs and no benefits. So it's good to see these kind of plans. And, You know get people racing competing to um yeah to get these industries and a bit of competition should make it go faster and cheaper right so i think it's a good thing
1: well is this going to reflect a a slowdown like obviously inflation and the global security woes. i mean is this going to increase over time alan or is this maybe going to shrink i mean are people going to be you know whoever these people are who are going to pump 10 billion a year into new jersey are they nervous right now about inflation and the narrow margins and all this sort of stuff?
0: Yeah, I, I don't think so, because these projects seem to be rolling ahead at rapid speeds. If you look at New York and New Jersey alone, and I won't even throw Massachusetts into the mix right now, you do see a lot of activity, particularly New York, which we're close to. The, the, the capital region of New York is rapidly building a port. All, there's ports going on around New York City. So there is action already, which again I think Rosemary's right about this, which is if you want to get into this 2,000, 3,000 wind turbine uh, uh, event that's about to happen off the East Coast, you got to get in early and you got to make the agreements early, and that's why you see a lot of action at the state level, but also their their federal representatives, so the the uh, the Congress people and the senators, U.S. senators are getting involved directly in negotiations because they see so much cash flow and the potential for so many jobs. What happens in New York doesn't happen in Connecticut. Think of it that way. So they're trying to bring home the bacon for for their constituents. And this is really interesting in New Jersey because New Jersey is a big union state that you now see union participation in some of these renewable energy projects. I think that's interesting to see.
1: Nordex was hit with a cybersecurity <laughs> incident, shut down all their IT systems, uh, trying to contain the the issue. They said they found it at a pretty early stage, uh, but I guess you know they're still going to have to figure out because, as we've discussed with uh, our previous uh, tech guest, Byron Martin, you know he said these bad actors are in in these systems for sometimes six, nine, twelve months before they actually strike, kind of pull the switch. So you know. It, Just like anything else, like when we talked about the Vestas breach, you know, months ago, there was just new information coming out every week for what seemed like six weeks, Alan, something like that.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, at least. Yeah, it's crazy. Went on for way too long. I agree. Yeah.
1: And of course, Entercon was uh, partially impaired by a a satellite outage um, in just February. So I don't know. I mean, Rosemary, is this, are we at the point where we just go, yep. There's another one, like no big deal, like just par for the course, or do you feel like this is going to get better?
2: Oh, I think, I mean, it's clear by now that everybody needs a cybersecurity plan. I mean, it was clear before, but maybe, you know, it gives a little bit more urgency every other, um, yeah. <laughs> would uh, my manufacturer or anybody else that works in any kind of energy uh, infrastructure, I would suggest would be looking at this and saying, okay, it's only a matter of time before it happens to us. So um, you know if, it, if I was in charge of it I wouldn't just be looking at preventing um, any kind of you know attack but also you know trying to troubleshoot okay so you know what's going to be the the impact if you know this gets affected if this gets affected and make sure that you've got redundancy and I think resilience is definitely the name of the game for the um, for energy system moving forward uh, not just for cyber attacks but for all sorts of things. I know we just had the um, latest budget, federal budget in Australia it came early because we've got an election coming up, Ho- hopefully. <laughs> They're waiting until the last possible second to call it, but they had almost no spending on um, anything to do with climate change or renewable energy. But one thing that they do have is um, resilience type stuff for the grid and it's partly related to climate change um, and. Australian government has been pretty um resistant reluctant to admit that all of our you know increasingly common natural disasters are associated with it but we have so many floods now so many bushfires now i mean it's just it's crazy how often it's happening and so whether or not you believe that it's caused by climate change it's clear that we need to be more resilient because these towns that are you Know, cut off time and time again from bushfires and from floods and um, from everything. They're like, we need solutions where, you know, no matter what happens, we need electricity. And so, yeah, we're starting to see resilience is, um, you know, a really, really big part of that. And I think that that'll probably spread throughout the world. I know parts of the US also have, have problems with that in California. A lot of their blackouts are, are caused by needing to preemptively shut down power lines because, you know, it's a high fire risk. Um, day um and yeah so we might be amongst the first countries to experience this kind of disturbance but it's going to happen more and more around the world so i think that everyone's going to have to have to learn how to be be more resilient you can't just control everything singly from one point Um, yeah it's going to be more about distributed energy more about microgrids or um, parts of the grid that can operate as an Mm -hmm. island and operate without satellite connection um. yeah, but all that sort of stuff, I think, is going to become important for more reasons than just cybersecurity. I think that'll be a big trend over the,
1: the next decade. Moving on, uh, Siemens Gamesa is now producing their 115 meter long offshore wind blades. So this is going to go on their SG14236DD, uh, which is a 14 megawatt turbine with a, a fantastic name um rotor diameter of 236 meters which for you americans is 774 feet so wonderful conversion there uh alan thank you for your notes um and i guess the the interesting thing to note is that they're using their integral blade technology which means uh there's no glued joints and they're cast in one piece which seems pretty difficult but i don't know rosemary is that is that a big fan, should we be making big fanfare about that or is that kind of par for the course? Uh, obviously I know lots of different companies will sometimes announce, this is our blank technology or we use this method and often it's maybe the same as every other company is doing. Um, or is this really something that's unique, especially at this size?
2: Um, it's, I don't know if it's unique, but it is their, it, it is their thing that they make in the one shot infusion process. So they make it in one piece. It's interesting to see that they're, you know, it's still working for them even at this very long length. But yeah, it would be a huge change for them to all of a sudden start making a a two-piece blade. They have no experience with that, and those glue joints are, you know, immensely problematic Um, when you when you first start out. I mean, you continue to see um, problems in them from time to time. So you really do need a lot of expertise around quality control, and um, even in design as well, it's incredibly difficult to um, accurately model the, the thick blue joint. Um, so for a long time, you know, with turbine blades, there's a big difference between the the um, stiffness, especially torsional stiffness, like how resistant it is to twisting. There's a big difference between the way that it's modelled and the way that it behaves in reality. Um, so it, it would probably be more surprising if they had moved to a two-piece blade because it would have really opened up just can of worms for them and yeah you wouldn't want to see a um, 115 meter long blade just peel apart out, out in the field so <laughs> yeah it makes sense to me they've done it this way
0: so how do they do rosemary how do they do this is there a male tool they're to wrapping glass around or what is the physics of this or the setup manufacturing setup to do this because you're talking about taking fiberglass all the way around the blade right there's no joint, so there must it's be fiberglass still, on the edges.
2: So I, I need to look it up. I haven't looked into this since I was doing my PhD thesis on wind turbine blade design. Okay. Um, but it, at least back then, and I assume now, it's still infused. It's still a vacuum infusion. So they get the glass oh, sure. um, there and then they suck, suck resin through it under vacuum. So, you know, you start out with dry glass and then, um, yeah, the resin kind of seeps through, which is the same as, as everybody else does as well. Um, just that they've got sure. a much more complicated geometry to try and do it to. They don't have any open mould. And then I think that they have um actually and, and this I might be wrong. <laughs> so I should I should check before I say it on the podcast, but okay. I think that they have some sort of inflatable internal um mold that um, will give them the, the, bladder. the inside surface. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's um that's how I think they so do. So it's it.
0: a, it's like a it's like a sorry, I don't want to is it like a B stage? So You got, you still have to make two halves, right? I mean, they still have to lay glass material down, a balsa or whatever else, foam, down on each half, and then they bring it together. I haven't seen this process worked out. I've only heard about it, read about it, never seen any pictures of how it's actually produced. I assume that's probably highly secret. I'm guessing, but 115 meters is a very long blade. It's not something easy to do. We do have done similar things in aerospace. We talked about making wings that way, but it's not the easiest <laughs> engineering approach.
2: No, it's, it's not. I mean, there's definitely benefit. You can imagine, obviously, that you would like to have your final blade come out with no joints in it. Um, so uh, you can see the benefit and the, the challenges. You're right. They're, they're secretive. They used to be a bit less secretive a while ago. So I, th- I think if, um, you know, listeners are interested to check it out, try and search some of the older stuff from, you know, in the 2000s before about 2010, I would suggest there was still, you know, quite some information available about how they achieved their, their process. Um, and you can find some sorts mm. of general information on their on their website, but All these manufacturers used to do um, open days at their factories. Um, And in fact, the first year that I was living in Denmark, they had open days. And I didn't go because I was on, they were in the summer holidays um, in Denmark. And I took that opportunity to, you know, go travel around Europe. So I didn't go, assuming I would go the next year. And then they just all, all at once canceled. And I couldn't even, you know, like when my (laughs) my dad came to visit, I couldn't even take him to the factory to show him, um, you you know, how it worked. Oh, really? yeah they're wow. so secretive. I mean, you can't even get suppliers in there if they don't you know like really need to need to know um so it's it's a shame that the industry is so secretive it is kind of silly anyway because. I mean, you, every colleague you work with, they're like, oh, yeah, I work at LM now. And I used to work at Vestas. And before that, I worked at Siemens. And, right. You know, like everybody's worked <laughs> everywhere and everyone acknowledges that it's great to get employees that have worked at these other companies, but no one wants their information to go to the other companies. But of course they do. You can't, you know, you can't tie sure. someone down. You can only keep them for, you know, like maybe a year after you finish up, they can stop you working for a competitor. But in Denmark they have to pay you half your salary while um, while they're stopping you from working for someone else. So that used to be a common strategy wow. that people people would <coughs> excuse me, yeah. people would plan a big house renovation and they'd take a year off to, you know, build a house or renovate a house on their half half salary that they're getting paid out from their previous company. And then when they finish that then they're free to go work for <laughs> the next wind energy company. Um yeah, so that was
0: that's interesting strategy. Sure, okay.
2: Yeah, nice, nice if you can get it. Um, yeah, but I think that the industry as a whole benefits from this knowledge sharing, and everyone kind of knows that. So I, I just wish that we would, yeah, be a little bit less less secretive about you know some of the just major things that the information is just out there anyway. Like, yeah, how does this one shot infusion process? Look like now with the lung blades. Right. You know, they won't change. Well, moving on to
1: here. Australia, our land of gigantic, terrifying spiders. Um, there's been a wind farm in Victoria that is going to have to pay damages and curb their night noise uh, because the judge has upheld that it was a major nuisance to local residences. Um, Rosemary, do you feel like this is like we continue to. Re- you know, report a little bit about some of these legal battles and most of them seem pretty modest. Like, you know, one person, another person here, uh, sometimes they're dismissed. Sometimes um, the plaintiffs win. But what's your take here on some of the operational noise limits here? I mean, are are they, are they going to get better? Are they going to stay the same? Are people just going to have to learn to kind of deal with this and coexist? I mean, what do you, what do you see going forward with, with noise?
2: This is a really weird case because in this one, there is a noise limit that was set in the planning approvals, and the wind farm demonstrated that they met those requirements, um, at least for the most part. But then um, some residents were still bothered by the noise and launched legal proceedings, and so then it seems that they were the wind farm was judged to a, a different standard other than the one that they thought that they were signing up for with their planning. So. That's a complicated situation because I have always thought that the issue of um, noise from wind farms it, um, is so crazy that it became such an intractable issue because you can measure noise. <laughs> um, all you need to do is figure out what is an acceptable amount of noise to have in um, you know a person's a, a neighbor's home and then require the wind farm to stay under that noise. If someone thinks there's a breach, you can go out and measure it. It's very easy. It's objective. Um, I never understood why there was so so much trouble to you know find solutions to to this problem. You, you know, you set a noise limit, and the wind farm keeps to it. Um, and if they haven't, then you know they need to um, take take action to either you know have less noise, or you know sometimes they will install double glazing in um, a home or or something so that they can reduce the noise in the the home, um, and everyone ends up reasonably happy. But in this case, they I think that they thought that they were doing the right thing. There was a noise limit in their planning approval; they met it. Um, people complained. They went out and checked out whether it was true that the noise was being exceeded. Turned out it wasn't. Um, I think that there were originally quite a few members of the community that were uh, annoyed by the noise, and the wind farm was able to um, find a resolution with nearly everybody, but just not these two people. And then the finding that um, yeah, that, that they had broken some different rule than what they knew that they were subject to. That's that's a bit weird, and that would be uh, making other wind farms around Australia a bit nervous that, you know, like the goalposts seem to have shifted, like you don't know where the goalposts are anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, So I, I think that that's the really weird thing about this case.
0: I still go back to the repetitive nature of the noise and that humans tend to pick that stuff up. It's like having a, a washing machine that, ticks or something that's making constant Rear, consistent noise exactly.
1: i'm gonna just keep doing this while you're talking <laughs> well that is
0: annoying let me file a claim in court <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes just- well <laughs> speaking of which my name is stan smith um so you can file it under that in australia yes. right yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well that's that's
0: just the thing I, I, i'm really i'm Learning more about aerodynamics on wind turbine blades lately. So one of the things that comes up is how much noise and why is there so much noise there, and is there are, th- are there things we can do about it? And there there are a number. You see many small companies pop up about reducing noise, and if that's something that needs to get addressed, we better get on it now as we're going to expand wind energy or having some way to deal with it. Double double pane glass windows, I'm sure would help to some level, but Again, it's just, it seems like the wind industry just keeps saying, well, we meet this threshold, we meet this threshold, but the the, the population base is saying, well, that's not enough. So it sounds like there's an engineering problem in there somewhere that someone needs to get on and fix. That's that's what I see happening right now. We've just have yeah, not a way to fix it yet.
2: Pe- no, people are working on it, but there's... um there's always going to be noise you could have noise at whatever whatever level you, you you want basically you slow it down then you get less noise it's you know the speed of the tip moving through the the air um right. you can change the the shape and you can add um trailing edge serrations you know based on um the design similar sure. to how an owl's <laughs> owl's uh feathers kind no, of look okay. you can you can <laughs> do all of those sorts of things and re- reduce the noise but you you always, you know, when you're an engineer, you're designing to, to, to the limit, you, you know, you want the most efficiency you can get and you want the cheapest blade that you can get. So, you, you know, you're basically going for high performance and one of your constraints is noise. And so, um, you know, if people raised the noise limit, then you would have uh, slightly cheaper um, or, you know, cheaper cost of energy. So either cheaper blade or, or better performance. And if they lower the noise limit, then you'll see a little cut. So I don't see this as an engineering problem because engineering has solutions and, you know, we'll keep on getting better, I'm sure, but it's not going to be engineering that solves this. It's going to be um, politics. It's going to be well, making laws and, inter- and sticking to them. Yeah. You know, set set the limit where, where the limit should be and engineers will design up to that. that. That's always how it's going to be. And so when you've set a limit and then you come back and say, no, actually uh, the limit, there is no limit. It's just whatever we feel. Um, well, that's something that yeah. an engineer can't deal with. You know, like my engineering brain just about explodes when I when I hear this <laughs> this idea that, you know, an engineer is first you are responsible for, um, you know, whether somebody's annoyed by a noise and that's a different decibel limit to somebody what somebody else is annoyed. You know, like the local council needs to set the rules and the planning permit. How noisy can this be? And all of the engineers will deal with that just fine, no matter what the limit is, will we'll cope. Um, yeah, but the limit mm. needs to be set and then stuck to.
0: So let me let me ask well, you let me ask it let me let me ask you about how ping plays into this the ping uh, acoustic sensor right that you just stick onto the side of the turbine. So what one of the things I think it comes up is if if I'm in let's just pick Kansas if I'm in Kansas how much monitoring of those wind turbines are there? I mean you can go out and sample them. It's not hard to do, but most likely the sampling is going to happen in the daytime, right? Having some sort of continuous monitoring out there to see what the noise really is, I think is important because the, the biggest complaint about wind energy, besides a little shadowing effect, and I think that's probably fixable, is is the noise. But we really do not have a constant monitor on the noise that a, a, a concerned neighbor could point to because that's day and night, like a day and night monitoring system. There isn't one besides ping right now about what the noise is. And, and they, may have a, they, they may be totally right, like there's some weird thing happening at nighttime and it's noisier, but we just don't measure it like that, I don't think. So I, I think that it's just like Dan and I had talked to the guys at Technostrobe about the lights, that now the requirements in the United States about the lights only coming on when there's an airplane that's near. Well, I think that makes sense because the flashing lights is a big problem. People People complain about that. I think the same thing on the wind side is that, if we could have really active monitoring, then we would know. And I think then you have a much better argument. Yeah, everything's still working fine. The noise is not that loud. It's, it's okay. Or maybe the ping monitoring is saying that the noise is too loud and maybe the, the neighbor is correct. If it's right without any data, then you're going to leave it to the lawyers. And I don't want to leave it to the lawyers. I'd rather have the data and let's keep us in the engineering realm.
1: Well, yeah, my I question agree, is, but- who decides that this number is okay? Like, you make a wind wow. farm down the street from me. I already lived here. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, no, don't worry, Dan. It's only going to be 45 decibels. That's the, that's, that's, the limit, <laughs> that's the limit that we've set. I'm like, okay, well, I didn't make that limit. I also have not experienced your wind turbines yet. Um, so I guess we'll wait and see. And then they start going and you are like, hey, guess what? I hate your limit. Uh, I realize that it's legal, right. but I hate it. And my life is terrible now. Uh, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of where we're at with this story, right? Am I missing yeah. something? But the' like wind who farm decides doesn't set the limit. The,
2: not the wind farm. The wind farm doesn't set the limit. Whoever is approving the sure, giving the sure. planning approval, they set the limit, and that should be based on, yeah where are they getting know, in theory, there should be you know wow. a, elected people that are you know driving theory. that that process and you should be able to to vote for that. um, so it should should come from people, but that's that's the problem mm. that I see is in the planning process, it hasn't um, you know, reflected community uh, sentiment or you've got a couple of people who are just always going to be annoyed and they've managed to, um, you know, to win a a case that they shouldn't have. Those are the two possibilities, but it it shouldn't, it it shouldn't have. Well, it's all theoretical, isn't it? Like,
1: (laughs) like they're just saying, they're just saying that 40 decibels or whatever should be, should be fine. It's like, we should make a camp and the people that make these policies should have to go live in the camp with the wind turbines, right, right next to them. Like, but and like experiment. Like said, oh, <laughs> here's here's what it sounds like. Oh, this is terrible. We should change our policies.
2: Yeah, but this isn't wind. Wind farm isn't the first thing that makes noise that people have to deal with in their environment. So these numbers aren't right. just plucked out of the air, applying only to wind turbines. It's the you know it should at least be the same noise level that they're using to you know locate new new roads, new highways. Because you know, like sometimes they put up a highway and they yeah. put up the, no, the noise barriers. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, like it's not. It, we, we shouldn't be reinventing the wheel here um here in this situation and for a long time people were um you know really upset about infrasound because they said that it had you know some some health effect that was unrelated to the decibels and that was a harder challenge to to solve because you can't measure what they are complaining about but when it's just noise and decibels we've got a long history of urban planning where people are bothered by noise and you know, you've got to balance development against um, residents' enjoyment, and I, I just don't see why it's so different when it applies to a wind turbine than when it applies to any other noisy activity that that happens in a in a residential area.
0: Because it's like King Kong in your backyard, right? Because you can see it, right? It's one of those things you can see it. You can know where the noise is. If a rando rando truck goes by, you like you don't know that guy is driving the truck. It's it's a one off event, but. That wind turbine isn't going anywhere, and I think that's it's always there. One of the yeah. issues, it's always there. I think it's an it's a, it's an issue for the industry that they're gonna, as a, as an overall industry objective, is try to, to figure this out a little bit because it's only going to get worse, and not doing anything about it is not going to help tamper it down. I mean, I think the argument is well, there's always gonna be people who complain. That fact check true. I agree. There always would be people com- who complain about that. The question is, there's some people in the middle there that are just telling you what they hear and i think that's fair can we try to address that and and maybe maybe we can but without having some way of monitoring i I don't know how real it is right i think that's the the part i worry about
2: i think you're right and i think that they definitely haven't done like best practice community engagement in this case because i know i mean this is a huge topic in australia probably elsewhere around the world at the moment i know now you know when a um when um, developer wants to develop a project and they bring the community on on board better and part of that would be saying you know these are what the noise levels are uh, expected to be this is you know like a similar noise that you're you know you know it's like standing 100 meters away from a highway or you know whatever yeah. i'll give some comparison and then they'll tell you what to do if you think that it exceeded that and what the process is So people know ahead of time you know what what can yeah what they can do if they do have a problem with how it sounds in the end and usually they're doing a lot more proactive stuff to you know like I said if you get somebody who's particularly sensitive to noise and they they will help you to install some you know noise reduction that's stuff fair. in your in your yeah. home I think that's the right way to do it so I think I'm sure that the developers here would uh, <laughs> would love to go back in time and um you know do this differently to mm-hmm. avoid this but um yeah at some point oh, sure. you could always have somebody that nothing was enough to you know make them happy Mm. and and so i do think you need to get the legal precedent right as well as you know do a better job of of community involvement
1: i think the developers need to take like a walmart sort of approach like you know they have the greeters like the old people that just sort of (laughs) don't really do much but they they know that they have a crime deterrent effect you just get see you covertly (laughs) get like a team (laughs) of like 10 10 grandmothers and they just bake pies for all the people in the area who might be affected by the noise and they just keep coming by every week with just a different, here's a cherry pie. And they maybe have like a you know developer em- embroidered sweater and just real, <laughs> real casual, real subliminal, take care of the people, feed them well, and then they won't complain. Yeah. Good plan. Pie solves everything. Thank you. <laughs> what doesn't pie solve? That's, that's the bigger <laughs> question. So moving on last topic for today uh misinformation and this is making some headlines misinformation has been derailing some energy projects um and some uh, interesting research from uh, josh fergan who's with the university of minnesota duluth says that facebook um which is not not a big surprise to any of us is one of the biggest drivers of misleading content about renewable energy um alan is this a surprise to you and i mean are we gonna to continue to see projects get derailed or just a lack of uh, a, a lack of support? Or what, what's the implication here from the misinformation campaigns that we see on the web?
0: So, so when NPR, which is owned by the federal government starts to complain about misinformation, you just kind of have to chuckle a little bit because they have participated in misinformation also. If we're gonna de- describe misinformation as being untruths. Or maybe your political stance on something, fine. but it does seem weird that, that NPR is coming after some guy in Ohio as saying, "Well, he, you know he's the source of misinformation. Like everybody has an opinion. And why can't people have opinions? And, and if they want to have a Facebook post about their opinions, so be it. And, and I, I don't have a problem with people complaining about when industry. Or complaining about whatever you know the local pizza shop, sure, right? That's what Yelp is all about, and some of those other services that we use—they're the same. They're the same thing. And if if we if we get all bent out of shape because some guy in Ohio disagrees with Wind Energy, we 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 have to have ways of dealing with it. Calling it misinformation to me is a, is the lowest form of dealing with it. Uh, the the better way to try to address it is to try to build a consensus, right? That's the way things done. And you're always gonna have 25 pence, 25% of Americans disagree with whatever proposal you put out there. So to say that there's some some small group is disagreeing with you, that should be normal. If we didn't, we'd be living in some weird communist state, right? And I mean, that's political elections in some countries where there's 99% approval. That's crazy. If, we, if you get 60% approval in the United States on anything, you're doing extremely well. So why worry about the, this part of it? I, I'm just confused here as to why NPR start, wants to step in on this. It's odd, I think. I mean, Rosemary, I know you have more of a love-hate relationship with Facebook than I do. I, I rarely use Facebook. But uh, <laughs> like, how is Facebook in the middle of this thing right now? <laughs> well,
2: I used to rarely use Facebook, but I recently got banned <laughs> from all, all meta companies. Companies that I was involved with got banned from Facebook, from Instagram, from WhatsApp for no reason. And it's impossible to find out why because they uh, don't have That seems right
1: to me. You're you're a monster, you know. (laughs) I I
2: hadn't posted (laughs) on Facebook. Facebook I feel feel like Facebook nailed this one. (laughs) I hadn't posted on Facebook or Instagram in months. I use WhatsApp to message my sister and my boyfriend and literally nobody else. Um, so it was a bit of a shock to to hear that I'd apparently received, uh, they'd received dozens of complaints on my case and they wouldn't be showing them to me or, you know, giving me any, any recourse to appeal. But um, yeah, so I love hate relationship is the wrong way. I never loved it. I used to tolerate it and now um, I'm not even allowed to tolerate it anymore. So I guess it's just pure hate. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I will say that, um, There's a difference between uh, opinion and misinformation, and we've seen it a lot. Um, We've got some pretty um, colorful politicians in Australia who are anti renewables, and one of them posts a lot of uh, it's misinformation. It is, you know, they will say, Oh, you know, this is a this is they'll post a picture of an open cut mine and say, You know, this is what it means to have a clean energy transition, you know, like. It'll just change what they say that that mine is for, but you know maybe it's a. They think it's a lithium mine, or maybe they think that it's you know mining. I don't know whatever they think wind turbine blades okay. are made out of. And there was one particular case recently where it was a, a diamond mine. Um, and you know this this went viral all over all over Facebook. Um, this mine that people were attributing to clean energy. Um, I mean that's just clearly wrong, and you see lots of examples like that, and maybe. Okay. I don't know, maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't, but I do see a lot of people who are concerned about the environment that are way too concerned about the um, mining for renewable energy. Um, and so they say we can't, you know, maybe we shouldn't have the energy transition, but it it's not, they never show, you know, a, a coal mine. <laughs> Obviously you're mining for, for coal constantly, Um then that's like a more of a gray area. It's, you know, it's not misinformation to say that you need to, um, you know, mine to get materials to make any product, whether it's a clean clean energy product or or not. But it does really change public perception. And I do know people who have had their opinion changed about, you know, whether the energy transition is good for the environment or bad. People are, are starting to mm-hmm. think that, you know, the the balance is that we, we shouldn't be you know, making any more wind turbines if we're going to put blades in landfill. And it's like, well, you know, where do you think that that coal comes from and oil and gas, and where do you think it goes afterwards? It, it, you know, like the, um, it, it's a challenge, right. and I, I do think it matters but- because it changes public perception.
0: Is this is this the result though of not having independent news sources that are really doing news, and do you think this sort of I want to call politifact Fact-checking organizations add anything to this conversation. I think they have just been in the United States have been discarded because they have a point of view, just like everybody else does. And it, it doesn't. It, it it's getting to a point now where nobody trusts anybody else. Yeah, that's where we're at right now. And I, I think it's a result of COVID. I think it's a result of 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 some of the administrations that's going on. It's it's sort of watching the previous election, in the United States, and what we were told and what we're now told. So all those things lead into, you can't trust anybody. So if if you're really trying to persuade, then you need to persuade. I think throwing facts at people is not helpful. If we just keep doing that, we're going nowhere. If you really want to make an argument, and then you need to think about how like an advertising agency would do it and how you would try to persuade people to come to your side, knowing full well that you're not going to get 100%. I think that's where we should draw the line at, is we have some sense of balance here that if I get 60% or 51 or 54%, that's plenty. That's all I need. And then I can work on the others, but I'm never going to get to 100. And to think that you are, I think, is a, a rational perception of the human condition. And maybe we should let some of this stuff go, because I think in this particular case, well, in Facebook, in this particular case, NPR is the wrong place to do this. If Facebook wants to squash it, I guess that they can, but Facebook didn't squash it. Like Facebook came back and said, you know, it's not so outrageous that people disagree. We're going to leave it, which I, which I think is unusual for Facebook to do. But I, I just don't get all worked up. I think every, we should tamper down. Every, we have to have all the facts and only one side has facts here. That's that's not the case.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I don't think there's so much you can do about you know just your average guy on the street posting something that's not you know, getting right. the full nuanced picture. But I do have a problem with politicians doing it. I think that, I, I don't know, maybe it needs to be part of the, you know, um, political advertising laws. It needs to include um, social media because, I mean, I know in Australia that when you're in an election campaign, there's no truth in advertising if it's related to, you know, um, political advertising that, um, you know, normally like if you're a product mm, and you say right. my product can do X and that's not true, then, um, you know, there is a regulatory body that can find you for false advertising. We don't have that for um, politicians. Okay. That's uh, crazy. And, okay. and, and it's kind of well, weird. Uh, um, and because they're so influential. Are, so I think you could start there sure. regulating what, politicians especially you know these ones problem ones in australia they're actually members of parliament so you know there should be some sort of code of conduct that they have to live up to that includes not you know blatantly lying to people on social media
0: well okay so dan Dan lives in washington dc right yeah dan lives in the heart of politicians like yeah in the in the weirdest place on the planet probably (laughs) in terms of politicians but what are politicians good at? And what did they become good at? Messaging and persuasion. That's exactly what they're good at. Otherwise, they wouldn't get elected because they do spout a lot of nonsense. But somehow, <laughs> we tend to reelect these people, right? And every two or four or six years, depending on how, well, you know, what the election is, then we have this level of persuasion going on the whole time. And we were, we're shocked, shocked that somebody gets elected when they've just been telling mistruths. Okay. Right, right. But be better. Right. I think the answer is to be better than than what you're up against.
1: Well, and my last point here is just that there's a difference between and I think this is what you're both talking about as well, disinformation versus misinformation. So disinformation is like yeah. taking a photo of a, a Scrabble board and, and saying that Scrabble <laughs> causes cancer. Uh, or, you know, there's something else that is just like yeah. well, I heard that my neighbor played scrabble every day and he broke his leg so i think these are linked i think i think you know i think these are linked that scrabble might weaken your bones over time i don't know uh so there's a difference between just like a hearsay story that's not really true and then like i made this up to be blatantly false like rosemary's example about the mines like here's a photo of a mine that has nothing to do with the actual topic that i'm explaining and it's yeah, I don't know. It, it it's definitely complicated. I think um, both of you raised a lot of really good points. That it's a it's hard to just regulate. Like, how who's gonna who's to say that this was blatantly deceptive, or this was just you know right. an anecdote that got that kind of ran away. Um, you know, I had a friend who was talking about we were talking about wind energy the other day. He's very conservative, and he's like, "Yeah, they're the least least. You know, wind wind turbines are the least." Um reliable you saw what happened in texas like they caused that whole thing i'm like they only accounted for like 10 percent of the power like, what's wrong with you like he even knew that fact i'm like yeah you're it was it was bizarre but yeah i don't think misinformation disinformation is going anywhere unfortunately um <laughs> no so last topic for today this unfortunately is going to be my last podcast episode here on uptime Um, I'm moving on to some of my other endeavors that have been on, uh, in the background. So if you Google my name, you'll find various non wind turbine things, such as my baseball content, uh, softball content. I speak and I've, uh, just finished my third book this past year. Um, so I'll be leaving. So you'll miss, uh, my, I tried to fit in. Rosemary was hoping I'd get to at least what, three King Kong references today. I I got to one.
2: Maybe. one and a, a spider and to... spider one that was not
1: <laughs> a weak spider one i know strong, but i got yeah. a grandma a grandma pie reference in there does that <laughs> count for something maybe yes fine. yes it does um <laughs> thank thank you i appreciate that but i've really enjoyed my time on the show obviously being with you two um who are great minds and we you both have such unique and interesting and Diverse, sometimes divergent, sometimes convergent perspectives, which has been really fascinating. And I've been um, really grateful to be between uh, the the dialogue of both of you. So thank you both. And for all of you listening, uh, I appreciate you inviting me into your airways, into your homes, into your cars for these past 108, Alan, is it? Episodes?
0: Yeah, 108. Yeah.